Coming up, a conversation with Lynette Crow Iverson, at large Colorado Springs City Council candidate. This is 6035 Media. Casting an informed vote is your right and your duty as a citizen. I'm Brian Grossman, executive editor of 6035. And I'm Shelley Roars, spokesperson for the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak region. We are teaming up to bring you conversations with the candidates in the April 2023 Colorado Springs City election. So this interview is both an episode of the new 6035 Vote podcast. And the League's Making Democracy Work podcast. So let's get to it. So Lynette, welcome. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Yes, ma'am. So why don't you tell our listeners or our viewers a little bit about yourself and why you're running? Um, Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to do just that. Um, I am a Colorado native, but I have lived in Colorado Springs since the 90s. Um, I started serving the community, I say, in the 90s as a labor and delivery nurse, um, bringing our citizens into the world, (laughs) assisting in life there, and then um, quickly went into business with a Ahmed physician and um, ran a occupational medicine clinic here in Colorado Springs for the last 23 years. I recently sold that clinic, um, but in those 23 years, I served on multiple boards and committees in the city. Um, For instance, I was one of the first um, people that was city council appointed to the marijuana task force after Amendment 64 passed. I was one of the first board members to UC Health um, purchase of Memorial Hospital to that Healthcare Foundation Board, um, appointed by Mayor Bach and appointed by City Council. Um, I've served on Tool COS, and I've served on um, the Plan COS. I've served on UC Health committees. I was the board chair for the Pikes Peak Workforce Development Center for two years. Um, I'm currently the vice chair of Grandview UC Health Hospital Board. Um, So I've served in every capacity of the city for the last 23 years. And now that I have time on my hands um, after selling my business, I just feel like it's the next step for me. Thank you, ma'am. Thanks, Lynette. My first question has to do with uh, water and annexation. What's your stand on the 128% water rule for extending water and other utilities to flagpole annex developments? So that's a great question and one everybody's been talking about for the last year. Um, I am fundamentally um, for property rights, and so I completely understand um, the need for development. I understand why why the developers are developing. However, we do have to pay attention to our water um, in the current climate. I mean, look what's happened to California and Arizona. And we are lucky enough to have a resource of water. Our forefathers did a very good job taking care of our water system. But it's our job to make sure that we further that commitment and take care of our resources. And so I have watched most of the city council debates and the utility debates, and I feel like they came up with a fair value considering what we know and what we don't know moving forward in the future. So again, I am, you know, definitely would advocate for property rights, but at the same time, we need to grow wisely. Okay. Thank you. Shelly? So I've got a two-pronged water question because it's kind of a big issue for us. Um, we waste a lot of money on landscaping, or excuse me, we waste a lot of water on landscaping, right? 78% of our usage is used for the resort down the street that's got a broken sprinkler system for two days and didn't get it fixed, or the 
city-owned golf course, right? Or um, the uh, neighbor down my street who's got Kentucky bluegrass in a non-native area that needs Kentucky bluegrass. Um, so how can we do better in waste in not wasting so much water on those items? And then the other part about is annexation. We talk about that a lot. Should the city consider extending water and other utilities to subdivisions located outside the city that might never be annexed as being that, you know, as part of being a regional water provider? So two-pronged question. So the first question, we do live in a desert. Colorado is a desert, and it is fun to have beautiful yards and landscaping. And I do think character is important in neighborhoods. Um, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, we still have to realize we do live in a desert and water is sinking down all the time. And we do have to preserve that moving forward. And zero escapes, there's many beautiful ways we can zero escape. Um, so I am, I am not opposed to restricting some of that moving forward as we move forward with newer developments. It's really um, a mixed bag going backward. Okay. Um, and so water restrictions, you know, come into play three days a week, two days a week, however that looks, um, cutting back as much as we can. And it's really an individual's responsibility to take part in that. It's not just the utility's responsibility, but each one of us, if we're paying attention to our water waste, whether it's in our house and in our yard, and doing those things that we can do, I think that we can solve this together as a community. Okay. Thank you. And then that second part was, should the city consider extending water and other utilities to subdivisions located outside the city that might never be annexed as part of a regional water provider? Well, I think we do have to be a good neighbor to all of the, our surrounding cities that do, or like when I say cities, I talk about Fountain, Peyton, Callahan. They're not cities, <laughs> but they do wander into the springs and they are still our neighbor and they do spend dollars in the springs that does goes towards our utilities and, and the city. But at the same time, I think that's going to come up with this new task force um, that's just been put in place with the city um, and the county representation. And hopefully that that task force will have some expertise on it as well that will help um, drive that situation. Um, I, I would really hate to say to our neighbors, sorry, you're out of water. There's nothing we can do like we're seeing in Arizona. But at the same time, there has to be a regional approach to it. And I'm hoping that when I'm on council, I can help drive that task force as well to really come up with, you know, the smart thing to do, the right thing to do with the expertise on there, um, bring people in from other parts of the country that are facing this, that have already faced this, and how did they solve it? So I want to be a good neighbor, but at the same time, we do have to take care of our citizens in Colorado Springs first and foremost. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Another property rights question, although changing gears a little bit, where do you stand on accessory dwelling units uh, in single-family residential areas? And that's been real fun. Again, <laughs> I am fundamentally, um, I stand by property rights mm -hmm. and character of neighborhoods. And I realize that there is a shortage of housing, and that would be really, you know, a great thing. But at the same time, I think we have to go by city code and regulation and per you know, and we have to listen to the neighborhood as well. So it's a mixed bag and it's always going to be controversial. In Infill is not going to be ever like Greenfield. Greenfield, you know, is not as controversial as Infield's. And so I, th I think that's always going to be a mixed bag, but we, 
we do have to pay attention to our neighbors. We do have to respect their property rights. We do have to make sure we hold the integrity and the character of each neighborhood, such as the Old North End and historic neighborhoods. At the same time, um, you know, it, it, the citizens will will drive those conversations. I'm not opposed to them, but I, I do want to respect the neighbors and their opposition or their their open arms to them at the same time in a neighborhood I don't live in. I think it's important for me as a council person to listen to what that neighborhood wants Mm -hmm. and not so much what I want because I don't live there. Myself personally, I think it's great to have mixed use. And if that's something that somebody can make extra money on, because I'm 100% a capitalist, I think that's fantastic. But at the same time, we have to respect each other. So again, that's another, another form of council that we have to be listening to our constituents citywide. So just to clarify, it's, you, you see it as a case-by-case, neighborhood-by-neighborhood sort of thing. Is that right? As long as it falls under code. Under code and regulation. That it regulation. should be up to the yes. neighborhoods to drive those conversations. I, I do believe that. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Shelley? Another housing question, right? Um, just down the street from me, townhomes starting at 400000 right? So we definitely have an issue. Right, whether you want to say it's attainability, affordability, however you want to classify it, how would you plan to address the city's affordable housing issues? That issue is going to be an all hands on deck from the federal, state, and local level. We we definitely have an attainable housing. It's not so much I would say a shortage as it is attainable. I mean, they're going up everywhere, but when a single family cannot afford to buy a home because of interest rates or shortage of land or shortage of housing, then it then they're stuck in the rental market. So when they're in the rental market, and then it, it drives up the cost because everybody's in a rental market and not a, in, a, in a home market. And so I think some things we can do is we can take advantage of um, some programs to help the first-time home buyer, that young family getting into a home and getting out of the rental market with different HUD plans. There's HUD bonds. There's different LICT programs. Um, we could possibly go back to when the city was, oh, it was like, I want to say 20 years ago, the city did help first-time home buyers with like a $10,000 down payment towards their home if you qualified at a certain income and you lived in the city limits. And maybe those are the things we start looking at to get those families back into a home to loosen up the rental market a little bit. And and it, it will it will help relieve some of the stress. In this economy right now, you know, families are having a hard time affording their rent and their mortgages. So we've got to find a way to bring that down for especially the young family. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Brian? Public safety. Uh, Colorado Springs Police Department is short, 50 to 100 officers. I have 70 here in my notes, but it sort of depends on the day uh, from its authorized strength. Um, How do you propose to bolster the police department and what would you do to address public safety in general? That's my number one um, platform is safety. I believe every citizen in Colorado Springs has a right to feel safe and be safe. Um, That's a mixed bag as well because not only are we short – 80 police officers, but we have a 10% retri- attrition. So how are we going to 
continue to recruit and not continue to lose at the same time because we can keep recruiting. But at a 10% 10 attrition, it's not really helping Mm -hmm. that much. And we do have um, the money in the budget for 180 police officers. Additional, you mean? Total. I don't the the total force I think is over seven hundred. Yeah, seven. So a hundred and eighty more. More additional. Yes. More. Yes. Additional. Right. Yes, 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 yes. Right. And so, you know, how do we do a better job of recruiting? How do we do a better job of retaining? And you know, those are the things that I would really focus on is giving the police and fire the resources that they need to do that that job. Okay, thank you, Shelley. Um, one of the resources that police are sent out on calls that aren't necessarily under their purview homelessness Mm -hmm. right um many many reasons why people are homeless whether that's the ptsd veteran the person who was kicked out of their house for their choices some choose just to do that that's their choice right um how do you what what would be your plan to address homelessness in our community well, I think we have to come from compassion, number one, because I do believe the majority of people that are on the street aren't um, from their own will. It's just as you said, some some people were kicked out, a lot of mental illness, a lot of substance abuse. And so in that regard, there has to be some compassion, but we still have to uphold the law because we have to keep our citizens safe at the same time. And that comes hand in hand. I mean, with this, with mental issues and substance abuse in those categories, you know, you, you, you do have a safety issue and safety for those in the homeless camps as well. I mean, they're not safe either. So I think first and foremost, we do have, you know, to, to hold strict to the laws and the regulations around that, but we have to come from compassion. We need to do more for the, those that are mentally ill. We have to do more for those that are addicted, that are on the street for addictions, that it it is a disease. And hopefully that we can find the resources and partner with our hospitals down the road to be able to put some rehabs together and find some more career pathways for those who actually can be put through a program, you know, and help them with their substance abuse or their addiction or, you know, help them mentally ill like Greenway Flats. You know, really the mentally ill, that's just a place for them to live out their life in a in a in a safe place where they can because a lot of the one people that live in Greenway Flats are so mentally ill they they are not going to be contributing members of society but it's the humane way to help them live about the rest of their life and I think if we could do more of those types of things in our community at the same time as keeping our citizens safe then that would be a win-win. Thank you, Mayton. Brian. Uh, so Lynette, if you were elected, do you foresee asking? Um, the city, the citizens, for any new tax or fee increases? I do not. I believe, <laughs> yes. I, I believe a limited... You don't have to. <laughs> no, I'm happy to. I believe a limited government creates prosperity. Um, there are essential functions of government that we need tax dollars for, like PPRTA. I'm currently running the tops for trails parks and open space. Those things are dedicated infrastructure that a city is responsible to taxpayers are responsible. That is something an essential of essential government. Please fire infrastructure are essential functions of government. But we don't want to raise taxes so much that our citizens can't afford to buy houses, that our citizens can't afford to stay here, that our young families can't continue to grow and get ahead. And so I am not a proponent of more taxes 
at all. But I think that that the last eight years, we've done a really good job with 2C, PPRTA, with TOPS. Those are some dedicated tax revenues that are essential to our city and that are good for our city. Um, but I don't foresee myself being one that would increase taxes, no. You, you mentioned your involvement with TOPS. Can you clarify that? Yes. Yeah, so I'm managing the TOPS pr- the tops campaign, right? Um, Meaning you're in support of the, the yes, top. Okay, yes. yeah. so yeah, I'm, you I'm are the registered agent. I yeah. am the registered agent, mm-hmm. and I ran the first two C campaigns. So clearly, I love infrastructure, <laughs> and I think it's important for a city to have great infrastructure. And I just um, ran the last PPRTA that passed in November. Um, so I am not, you know, I'm a limited government. Mm-hmm. But there are things that the government is responsible for, and I do believe it's police, fire, and infrastructure. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Charlie. Thank you, Ryan. Um, last couple – or my couple of questions that I have are league-specific with a couple of issues. We do not support or oppose candidates. That's one great thing about us. But there are certain things that we do take issues on, and these two are those. We'd like to know how you feel about them. Um, what are your thoughts on moving spring municipal elections to the fall uh, in order – mainly to help increase voter turnout and uh, save the city approximately $600,000 per election year. Um, So that's that one. And then what are your thoughts on raising city council pay to a reasonable amount? Obviously, you know, $6,250 is what the pay is. Um, To be inclusive of others who don't have the ability to do this as their only job, like retirees. Or someone who just sold their business. Right. No, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Those are great questions. Um, so the first question, I completely would be in supportive of moving the April elections to November because it's true, you know, 30, 40% of our citizens vote in the April elections and they do cost a lot of money. And so to save the city money and to have more people come out and vote, which is our right, and we should be doing that, I I would, I would agree with that 100%. Thank you. And then that last one on raising city council pay. Right. And you are you are correct. You kind of get what you pay for, right? And <laughs> so you're only going to get a few segment of people who can sit on – and I don't mean that in a negative way. Mm-hmm. But there's only so many people who can sit on city council like you just indicated at $6,000 a year. I don't know that that pays my gas going in. Well, and you get an additional 4000 <laughs> that, Okay, good to know. <laughs> it's like for travel and expenses and whatnot. But, but to my point, yeah, it's still that pretty bad. We, it, it is if we were to raise it to a livable wage or to compensate or offset an income, we would have more candidates running um, with great ideas and and different ideas and bring more talent to the table. And I'm not critical of the ones that are sitting on city council right now, but you see year after year after year, it's usually retired individuals who can sit up there and do have all day to do a lot. City council, they do a lot of work. I mean, they're, they're working. Some choose to up to 60 hours a week. Some choose to, to, you know, 40 but but you are correct and i am not saying that because i'm running i'm not advocating that for myself i don't want it, that to sound that way at all i chose to run because i sold my business and i can run as you indicated but i do think it would really widen the playing field for others to get in if we did that and i would be a proponent of that 
Thank you. Mm -hmm. And I've been putting people on the spot when they answer that way. What would be uh, a livable or realistic wage in your opinion? Well, because I am a low, you know, more of a limited government person, and I think that we've done some studies on that and pulled some people. Um, and we and we don't want to spend a ton of the budget on it because we don't want to take away from the essential functions of government in the first place. Mm-hmm. I think that the voters would think 60000 70000 would probably be a fair, you know, livable wage where you could offset an income if you had two incomes or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I mean – you know, if that's something you really wanted to do, you could find a way to serve on council for sixty or seventy thousand a year. By moving the f- spring elections to the fall, we just saved it for one year. <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> We've problems already problems solved right that. That's great. <laughs> that's a great idea. We We're go. already doing that. Sorry, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I agree with you. All right. Uh, well, that was it for the specific questions, Lynette. Did you want to take a couple minutes just to close us out and remind voters why they should vote for you? Um, Again, I am probably the most experienced candidate running in this specific race with all of the service I've done in the city for the last 23 years and serving on every committee and board that I can do to help make our community a better place. Um, I, I feel like all of us have that duty in our city to do as much as we can. I would urge the voters to vote. I know there's some voter fatigue I know um, I've heard a lot of people say recently, you know, my vote just doesn't matter. And I think if you're looking at the federal, you know, news and you will get you, I can see why you would think that. But I just want to urge everyone that your vote does matter in local elections, that your city government does help your quality of life. And those that are thinking like it doesn't matter or, you know, I don't I don't you know, know what city government does, and you're just getting really frustrated on the federal level to really look at at each candidate and look at their platform and to vote regardless of what's going on the the national level because you can make a difference on your local level, and we do make a difference in your life on a local level, and I would just ask everyone to vote for me. All right. Thank you, Lynette. You're welcome. Uh, And you have been watching or listening to a joint podcast effort by 6035 Media and the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak Region. Be sure to follow Making Democracy Work and check out lwvppr.org for more information about our candidate forums in March. And stay with us at 6035 Vote to make sure your vote is an informed one. This podcast is produced and directed by Dave Gardner. I'm Brian Grossman, Executive Editor. And I'm Shelley Roars, Spokesperson for the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak Region. See you next time. Hi, I'm Dave Gardner. And I'm Nick Raven. We're the podcast producers here at 6035 Media. 6035 Vote is just one of a growing family of hyperlocal podcasts that we're creating. And these are for you, someone who wants to engage fully in your community. We've got the 6035, which is a quick, lively recap of the top news stories of the week. It's my favorite. It's really great and often funny. I love having you as a guest, actually. I do, too. And then we have Hot Takes and Stirring Breaks, which is a potpourri of news and commentary about movies, gaming, TV, streaming, and just so much more. It's for youthful heart, and, you know, that could be anyone, really. Yeah, I'm surprised I even really enjoy it because Nick hosts that, and uh, he's, he's witty. Well, and the cool thing is that you can watch both of these podcasts on YouTube. Or you can listen to them on the go in your favorite podcast app. And there's a couple more, uh, but you can also visit 6035media.org slash podcast to see them, browse them, sample them. And then subscribe to the ones that you like. And then subscribe to this YouTube channel. Yeah. And 
if you really love it all, like we do, uh, you, can do. Just, you can just subscribe to the 6035 Podcast Network podcast, which is a conglomeration of all the episodes, all the brilliance and humor that emanates from the studio. Absolutely. And there's a lot of it. So like and subscribe today and go listen to them all or watch them. What he said. Good. Thanks. Got it? That wasn't so painful.